you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5 and Proverbs 11. Luke 5 and Proverbs 11. Chapter 5, let's read verses 9 and 10. Luke 5, verses 9 and 10. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partner with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. You know the story, I'm sure, that they cast out their nets into the deep after they had caught nothing the night before and, and the power of God came into play and they were just astonished or amazed at this, not only the size of the catch, but probably of the fish, the, the ones you make the most money with, I'm sure. They were just Whoa, and they knew there was something beyond what was ordinary operating there. And Jesus said to Peter, fear not, Simon, for from henceforth you will catch men. And then in Proverbs 11 and verse 30, Proverbs 11:30, you're probably familiar with this or you've heard this quoted before. But the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Just reflecting on this, reading something yesterday at my office home, and I was reminded of when I first came to the Lord, my very first effort at living the Christian life. I mean, saved on a Sunday and starting on Monday that week following the only thing that I knew was aware of or was aware that I should be doing was soul winning. That was the message that was current at the time, the winning of souls, soul winning. Uh, through the years, I have to admit as a, as a fault, down through the years, I have far been far more interested in personal purity or personal holiness and things internal much more so than the lost humanity that is around me. There are, you care for people in your family, you care for your friends, people you grew up with, people you know, uncles, your children, with us anyway. There's a concern about their spiritual well-being. You know if they die, they're, they're not going to make it because they, you just know that. And so it concerns you. You don't always know what to do about it, but it concerns you. When I first got saved, we didn't know anything about faith or internal purity. That didn't seem to be that important then. But everything was about knocking on doors, passing out tracts in hospitals and malls, on street corners, praying with people a lot, talking to them about their souls, asking the question, have you been born again? Have you considered your life after death? I mean, there was a certain kind of boldness then. Now, I wasn't good at it. I was never real comfortable doing this. I did it. I did it with people who were comfortable at doing it. I remember one day a preacher I was with in a week-long revival stopped on a hot day, stopped a tractor in the middle of the road. He knew the guy, and he said, this is our evangelist for the week, Tom Hamilton, and he wants to tell you something. And I, I mean, I still remember that going, uh, 
course, I'm thinking, don't, and the preacher's name was Bo, Bo Walters. And I'm thinking, Bo, I don't know what to say. What am I going to say to this guy? Well, you couldn't say, hello. You know, it had to be something spiritual. So I, I witnessed him, and the fellow started crying and gave his heart to the Lord sitting on a tractor. And so, I mean, I never forgot that. And, but it wasn't any, wasn't any talent I had. I guarantee you that. It was, it was the power of the word of God. The power that can influence a man's heart, his emotions, everything about a man. There's something about the word that, that can turn a person all the way around. It's not you and your emotions and telling it, but it's the effect that God's word has. And that's all we knew. That's all I knew. Everything we studied had to do with how to witness. We went on lay witness missions. Those, those were still good. That a lay witness mission was we call lay people non-preaching people. They weren't clergy. We, we didn't make that distinction yet. And so non-clergy people like us would on weekends go in pairs or a carload of us or go to a church somewhere and uh, spend a weekend with those people and witness to them. They'd have a Saturday meeting and we'd all get a chance to witness and share our testimony is what we meant by witness, to share our testimony. And on Sunday uh, morning, uh, somebody would in the church share their testimony that morning. And that's the way I, that's what happened the morning that I got saved. That's the way it happened. A principal, high school principal, a housewife, and uh, people like that just shared about Jesus. They just witnessed. That's what a person does in a courtroom. You share to what you have seen or heard. You're your own personal recollection of what brought you to where you are. That's all I had, and that's all we needed. And we just shared our life and shared a little bit about what we believe and maybe something that God had done for us that, that week. And people were so unaccustomed, as I was, in hearing people talk about Jesus I still have never gotten over that. I came forward that Sunday morning. I was touched that ordinary people could talk about Jesus like that. And I'd never heard that before. So our whole thrust of our, my early days in Christianity was witnessing, sharing. It was doing the work of an evangelist. You know, the word evangelist, the word evangel means is to herald or it's the gospel, the good news. An evangelist is one who carries forth the good news, particularly about salvation through Jesus Christ. And that was the whole thrust of everything that we did in those days. And we didn't know, I didn't know anything else. It, it took tapes coming in the mail to, to show me there was more to the Christian life than just evangelism or trying to get people saved. And yet, to a fault, for myself, anyway, I've gotten away from that. I, I, you know, you still do it occasionally. You mention it in a sermon. You talk about it. You, you know, you, you allude to it. But as far as impressing upon a congregation, one of the primary calls and functions of Christians is to witness to the lost, is to share the gospel message as you've given it, however God gave it to you. You don't have to be good at it. You just have to be honest to share what the Lord has done for you and how he's brought you to where you are with whoever will listen. You can't save anybody. God didn't call you to save people. Now, the Bible speaks of it like that, but 
as we'll see in a minute, God will use people to save people. God does the saving. To begin with tonight, the facts about salvation are, are this. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That was the primary reason for coming. All human beings were lost. They all inherited the nature of Adam. There was none amongst us that was right with God. And we could do nothing. There wasn't enough goodness that we could do to undo the sin that we had already committed. Because once sin comes into a person's life, in order for you to relate to God, that sin has to be removed. And there was nothing man could do to get rid of his sins. This is the most primary, one of the most important messages that a Christian can have is that you were lost and God saved you. And that's what Jesus came to do. And, and he made possible, you read it in Romans 5, verse 9, read it in Romans 6, read it all through the book of Romans, that Jesus made it possible for lost people to be what we call saved, rescued from their sins, rescued from the penalty of death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's a, that's a message in Romans. All have sinned. And in Isaiah, there is none righteous. There's not even one righteous. But a man can now be made right with God, not by works, not because he does something. He still never be able to do that. But now a man can be made, with, made right with God because Jesus made that possible. He was righteous. And he becomes our rightness when we believe in him. So this is the message that God has given to us. When we respond to that, for us in those days, it was going forward. I can't tell you, I don't know how many times in a revival service, we went to all of them. And you carried your Bible and put your finger in Romans 6 at the invitation, just as I am. And if somebody was hesitant about going forward, you'd go with them and say, you'd walk, just walk across the aisle. Would you like me to go with you? Would you like to go forward and give your heart to Christ? I'll go with you. And uh, that seems like so many hundred years ago. But they would do that. And we'd go up and pray with them and sit here. want to make sure that w when you go forward, I want you to understand what you're doing and what's the cause of this. You're not going forward to get saved so, so you can see granny in heaven. It's because of your sins. It's got to be because of your sins. So this was kind of the way we studied. This was the... This was a, train of scriptures that we were armed with i was in those early days at the school where i taught school i got to exercise the roman road many times i mean lots and lots of youngsters came to the lord came for prayer wanted to know what they had to do to be saved god would bring them it was a wonderful move it was a wonderful move as good as anything i've ever known in my life and that was 40 years ago but this was a time in which god did things we've gotten away from it but there were things he did then that made you want to get up every morning and, and tell somebody about Jesus. I mean, he was honoring this lifestyle. We were what we call winning souls for Christ. That is by confronting them, informing them, and helping them. We were trying to bring them out of darkness into light so that they could be saved. And... That was such a wonderful experience. And I, again, as I look back, thinking about it yesterday, as I look back, I'm not, not only a little bit embarrassed, but maybe a little ashamed that I had let something so important, so fundamental to the Christian life, 
sort of slide because we are all, we are all, we should all be apt to teach. We can all do the work of an evangelist because we all have the good news. And if the good news has found a lodging place in your heart, you, you have a message. You have something to share with somebody. You may not have a gift of teaching or preaching, but you have a message. You have something that is personal to you that has changed your life, and you can share that with somebody else. <clears throat> when God saves people, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We are to understand that God now uses people, God uses men to bring men to Christ. Turn to Romans. I want you to follow me a little bit. Romans 10, Romans 10 verse 13. Tonight, we want to look at several scriptures, so don't get to, oh, we're going to have to keep hearing and turning here. What's that? That'll be good. Hear and turn. Romans 10, verse 13. For whosoever, he said, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, how then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? Now, if God's going to save those that believe, how are they going to believe? All right, he says, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher, a heralder, a proclaimer? Verse 15, and how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. You don't have to be a minister to do that. You can do that with your children. Can you not? You cannot disqualify yourself and say, well, I'm not sent. You might find after tonight you are sent. You're on this earth for a reason. And it's not just to see how good you can be. It's not just to see how holy you can be. That'll factor into all of this. But you're here for also for a reason of representing God to, the lost, to this lost world. And how they judge God, they often judge you. I mean, they judge whatever God is by how you live. And so a lot of things do factor into personal holiness and how you behave and how you live and how you talk being, being positive and not negative and being honest and fair and living right and turning the cheek and all these other things that signify changes taking place in your life. People are watching us. And don't think for a moment that you're not called to do that. We're all called to do it. Somebody in all of our lives, I pray this is true because I know that in, the, in what we used to call the faith camp is full of people that have never led anybody to Christ, never prayed with a sinner, never sat down and talked to somebody about their lost condition and then tell them about Jesus Christ who can save them. And then if they show signs of wanting to be saved, you can pray with them. That's God's work to save people. It's not our work to try to save them. It's God's work. It's our work to tell them about Christ. When they want to know more, you've got to be ready. You have got to be prepared to do that, to share with them how to be saved, what God requires and what it means to be saved and how to come to Christ, and that you'll be there to help them and to answer questions and to walk them through all of this and be with them when they want to talk to you tomorrow because they're going to go through a dry spell and they're going to need you and you're going to need to be mindful of that. You bring them to the Lord, you need to stay close to them. That's part of the work of ministering that we have. All of us have that. Now, there is such a thing as being in a pulpit and directing 
the words of congregations of people, that's a special anointing. That's something that not everybody can do. But this business of witnessing to the lost and bringing people to Christ, that's the work of God. Remember Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus said, the harvest, he said, the harvest truly is great and the laborers are few. And what did he tell us to pray? He said, pray for the laborers to go into the harvest. What's the harvest? Lost souls that need to be saved or harvested out of darkness, brought into light from being lost to being saved. And one of the things that Jesus told us to pray for was that God would raise up and send laborers into the harvest. He said, look, the fields are white unto harvest. People are ready. They're out there. They need to hear the gospel. And we're, you know, we don't do that very well. Maybe you do. I know some people do. I know that there are those who, who are quick to witness and, and uh, go places where they can share the word. Uh, any kind of a event, you know, where there's going to be a lot of people or those that go to jails and prisons and, and share with them. That's, that's the only hope some people might ever have is to get alerted to their need to be saved in an insignificant moment in your life. You gave somebody a track, they put it in their pocket and acted indifferent and got home and read it when they were alone and God touched their hearts. You just don't know. We just, we're seed sowers. I mean, God is the harvester. Are you with me? We are only seed sowers and we sow seed and God is the one who brings the harvest. Remember the great commission, go ye therefore into all the world. Who? Who did he say? Just his disciples or any of us or all of us? Whoever. Go ye into all the world, wherever you are, and preach the gospel. Make disciples. The translation says, go ye therefore and make disciples or Christians, baptizing them, which means they were lost. Because he that believes in the baptized shall be saved. So baptism was a part of this. So Jesus said, Go into all the world, wherever you are. Go into all of Shelbyville. Go into the living room and the bedrooms of your home with your children and make Christians out of them, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I've told you. You should have learned yourself. You can't teach something you don't remember. So what you're being taught in a time right now is to equip you to do the work of ministry. That's what you do. And this is how it should work. And if we don't tell them, who will? People take their kids to church hoping the church will tell them. Or they send them to some kind of a church place so maybe they can get right there. And they never think about the fact that, that the greatest place for evangelism is your home. And you can't do anything about it because you, you don't listen to know enough to tell them. And that's a shame. We, we should be different than that. Amen. Our, one of our first places, and I have to admit that I, I was <laughs> failing myself in this area. One of the first places you, you mark on your on your map for evangelism is your home. Those little children that God gives to you and brings into your life, every one of them needs to be saved. As cute as they are, they are full of Adam. You know, Adam, the first man. And they need to be saved. And nobody will influence them any more than their parents, I doubt. So he said, go into all the world. Mark said it like this. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
God uses people to save people. God saves, but he uses us. He said, you go, you preach. He said, what do you preach? The gospel. Put Paul right in Romans 16. He said, 116, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. How can they hear without the word? You got to have the word. Where do you find the word? Wherever it's taught. Get it while you can. Hide it in your heart so that you don't sin against God by forgetting it or not knowing it and living as though you never heard it. Get it. And when you get it, remember, this is part of God's equipping of you and preparation of you so that he, God, can use you in his harvest to bring people to him because God uses people to save people. Turn to 1 Corinthians 1. One more book to the right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It couldn't learn enough about him to know him. But he said the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to do what? Who does the preaching? We do. Who does the saving? He does. Salvation takes place. It starts with God anointing you or commissioning you or sending you maybe across the street. And you go with words. You always go with words. And you speak words. You speak them sincerely and honestly and with as much passion as you can without being dramatic. And you go in the honesty of your heart to share with somebody lost because if you don't and they die, they're lost forever. They are gone without hope forever. God forbid that we have a chance to witness to somebody and didn't do it. Remember the story I told you about the pilot one time, the airplane pilot? You may not remember much about that, but I remember in one part of that book, he was in a hospital and they put him in a room with a guy he didn't know. I guess the fellow had been cranky and difficult. The nurses apparently didn't like the man well. I think that's the way I remember it. And so he was just compelling in that room. They finally pulled the thing, the curtain back. He got to meet the guy and told him who he was. And then he said, do you believe in Jesus? And have you been born again or something like that? And a man had never had anybody say that before. I guess they were scared of him or they were afraid of what he might say back. And therefore we spare ourselves at the expense of the, of the people in front of us. So they said, do you know Jesus? Have you ever met Jesus, been born again? Something like that. And that night, the guy, they kept talking to him, and finally the guy prayed, and he prayed this sinner's prayer, we called it, the prayer of repentance. That's what we call the sinner's prayer. And he asked God to save him, and the next day he died. I don't know all the details about that and all the questions people ask about those last-moment confessions. I'm certainly not going to now. And you never know who you're going to run into in this life. None of us ever do. Who we're going to run into that God sovereignly put in your path for you to just share with them what you believe without being afraid of what they're going to say to you. Again, we, we spare ourselves the embarrassment of being fussed at or stared at. We just keep quiet. 
And nobody would ever view us as being religious because we never bother them with religion. They say things to us and we, I guess that's what you want to do. It's all right. And there's sometimes this fear of saying, well, I can't do that myself. I can't drink that. I, I don't go there because I'm a Christian. Well, everybody's a Christian. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. See, being a Christian is a specific thing. It's a leading question. Well, what do you mean it's a leading thing? Well, you, you know, you're not born a Christian. You're born lost. All men are lost. The Bible says we've all sinned. Oh, I'm not a sinner. Somebody, remember we used to play these roles at church. We used to have role playing to learn how to, to witness, and it was so funny. We'd have them sitting up front there. One would be the lost person, and one would be one of us witnessing to them, learning how to answer these difficult questions. And some of them, sometimes it was really funny. Sometimes they asked you questions. Well, everybody's a Christian. Well, that's not true. Everybody's familiar with Christianity, and you hear about it a lot, and you assume that you are, but being a Christian it means you have to be born again. Well, what's that? I've heard that before. Well, being born again means that God gives you a new heart. It's based on the fact that you believe in him and you repent of your sins because you want to ask him for forgiveness for the way you've lived as a sinner. Well, I, I don't sin. I mean, I'm no worse sinner than any, anybody else. And you can go with the Ten Commandments right away. Have you ever lied? Well, everybody lies, but you have too, right? Yeah, well, then you're a sinner. You're a candidate for salvation, praise the Lord. Have you ever hated somebody? You ever looked upon a woman? If you're a man, you ever looked upon a woman to lust after her? Well, everybody, well, okay, then you're a sinner. Congratulations, you are a candidate for salvation. There's some things you can say that nobody can answer. I mean, they can't refute it, like that one. Every man who lives in this world, if skillfully approached, anointedly approached, would have to admit that he's a sinner or she's a sinner. They may try to deny, you know, they think of sin as not being good. And everybody likes to think there's a certain amount of goodness in all of us. I'm, I'm all right. Not really. Nobody's all right. Everybody needs to be made right. See, you learn how to talk like that, especially when you do that. Now, I, I'm reflecting back on, again, a lot of things that were stored in my mind from 30 years ago, 35 years ago. I'm thinking of the malls. I've been thrown out of a couple of them for witnessing. They throw you out this side. You run down the other end and wait till they, the authorities get down there. They throw you out again. I'm going to call the police. Say, well, and I remember one time this fellow Bo Walters, they put him out of one side, and he went down there, and they brought the police down, and he said, sir, have you ever met Jesus personally? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? And, of course, the policeman was trying to ask him to leave, but he's about to get broke down, I think. But there's a kind of boldness that is good. And there's a kind of boldness that uh, is, is not good. I mean, you got to have some wisdom. you got to have that. But witnessing to people is what we do. It's who we are. It's part of our life. We're called to do this. All of us are. We all have a responsibility to God to represent him on this earth as he is teaching us and to be ready always to give an account to anybody that asks us a reason of the hope that is within us and to do it with meekness, do it cheerfully, and to do it with some sense of knowledge about what you're talking about. That's why it's important for us all to study and to learn to know the scriptures. 
to study to show yourself approved as a workman. That's what we are, who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the scriptures. It was important to the early church as it is important to the last church, the one we're in, to learn the scriptures, to know what they mean, to take advantage of all the opportunities that we have to learn and to seek to know the right way and understand it and share that, be able to share that with somebody else. When somebody says, why is it that you seem to be so, so happy or so peaceful? And the answer simply is, well, it's like somebody said, what must I do to be saved? Well, you got to believe in Jesus. And you say, well, you, you got you to believe in the Lord. I believe. I trust the Lord. How can you do that? And sometimes you say, you really want to know? I mean, are you, you really want me to tell you? I'd be glad to tell you. And you just tell them what happened to you years ago when I was a teaching school and blah, blah, whatever it was you were doing. You begin to share your life and share your experiences and you share that. This is what we do. The Apostle Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, he shares that this was his main thrust. It was his mission in, in life was to get people saved. Go back to the book of Romans to behind you there. Romans 11, talking about the Jewish people. Romans 11 and verse 14. This is how Paul felt about, about the Jewish people. I don't want to read all of this, but he said, If by any means I might provoke to emulation them which are of my flesh, that's Jewish, and might save some of them. In other words, that I might, with what I'm doing, the way I'm living, the way I'm talking to them and appealing to them, even though a lot of them are persecuting me, you know, there might be some of these folks that get saved. That's my heart's desire. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Here's, here's what he said. What a verse. What verses. Verse 19. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might what? That I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. And to them that are under the law is under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, that be Gentiles, as without law. Being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. Now, back in the heydays when I first started, he would have been taped for saying that because he was not consistent. <laughs> to the Jews, I'll be Jewish so that I can be accepted by them and then win them to Christ. To the Gentiles, I'll be as a Gentile that I might be accepted by them and win them to Christ. To the weak, he said, verse 22, to the weak became my weak to those that were weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by some means save some. That was his life. Now, what he taught, of course, we study a lot about, the, about holiness and carrying the cross and overcoming the deeper life, all of that. And that's so important. That's part of our testimony also. That's just the visual that people see. But his mission, I'm not just on this earth tonight. We're not here in this room tonight just to see how deeply good we can all be. Who can excel at greater goodness and personal holiness 
while we do want to be cleansed and grow up in him in all things and die to self, etc., we have this mission that we are always on this earth be involved in, and that's witnessing and winning people to Christ. Now, whether we've been doing it or not, that's true. Whether it's proclaimed that much in faith churches or not, and it's not, it's still true. Perhaps God has chosen this time in our church to awaken us and remind us that you can gain a whole lot of the word and gain a whole lot of your life with the Lord and neglect the need out there in the world to hear your life and hear your testimony and for you to approach them and talk to them about Jesus. A lot of them you can't win. They're, they're gone. They chose a long time ago to walk away and they hardened their hearts. But there are some who haven't been hardened and you never know who they are. You don't know. So when prompted, when you're there, sometimes it's just a simple question. You ever think about spiritual things, these last days and all this scary stuff going on and all this religion stuff? You ever think about what happens if something disaster came, what would happen to us? That's innocent. People would talk about that. You know, I, church I go to believes in heaven, salvation. You believe that? Well, they yeah, yeah. Well, what do you all believe? And they're not comfortable talking about it, but that's where you come in. It's where you pray for God, give me the right words, the right everything, so that if this person is one of yours or one of your candidates for the harvest, that I might really witness to them and they might get it. So you just, you, you pray about it. It's part of what we do. But he said that I might gain them. That by living wherever I am around the people that I am, that I might save some. I remember years ago, one of the ministers in the faith circles that I was in. I was kind of on the fringes. I wasn't one of those in the middle of, the, of headquarters, one of the elite. But I was just on the outside there. But I had a lot of invitations. Lutheran, Catholic, Episcopalian, Church of God, even Church of Christ, the Baptists, and the various Pentecostals and certain fundamental churches, and then the independents. I think I've been invited at least once to all of them, and some of them many times, many times. First two or three years of my life, all I did was travel and teach and preach, revivals, stuff like that. And then I got into teaching. But I think I've been to all of those places once. And remember this one fellow, I heard this remark back in the days when the grapevine was juicy and there was a lot of information spread that I couldn't be preaching the truth because I had too many invitations. And I really wanted to write a note and say, I want God to be able to use me, whoever he sends me to. I know what I believe, and they're not going to change me, but I know that if I barrel in there and say, I believe in tongues, and I believe in healing and casting out devils. Now, I told you, I'm pretty tough. Chances are they won't come back and they won't listen anymore. But when you go in and, and you quietly, you start with Jesus. And you take it from there and what he's done for you and how loving and kind he is to lost people like we were and how he loves us and, and, and secures us and protects us while he'll even send his Holy Spirit. Well, let me tell you about that. And then you, got, you go to talking about that. 
I would much rather people keep coming and keep listening because they can learn from you than to have a arid personality and and an axe to grind or a position to prove yourself with and lose them all. How could God use you like that? You know, if Paul had lived in our day, like, you know, the Bible says that Paul circumcised Timothy for fear of the Jews, even though he preached against circumcision, he circumcised him because of the Jews. You know, that wouldn't work today. That just wouldn't work because, you know, that's not consistent with somebody's standards. And yet how can God use us if we isolate any of us, isolate ourselves into just a little place that we not only cannot get along with anybody, but we find something wrong with everybody. And our message is more than finding something wrong with everybody. It's not a negative message of you can't and you better not. It will include that. But our message is far more positive than anything else because there is hope for all of us. There is hope for the lost and for the saved. There are thousands of promises that you can depend on and God will favor you and love you and send his grace upon you and so forth. That's far better message than always being anti-something. And yet there's a time when the wolf is growling, you've got to deal with the antis. I know that. You know that. But our message, our message that we have in the Bible like that one that Paul had is to bring lost people to Christ. Remember, think of Psalm 126, he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Here's an old gospel hymn, bringing in the sheaves. Remember that? Bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. That's all I know. <laughs> what about that? Turn to John 15. John 15. Remember he said in verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Herein is my Father God glorified that you on this earth as his representative, that you bear much fruit, that you just ooze out with all kinds of personal goodness and just, just walk around and just love peace and joy. Look at the ooze just hanging off of you. I think I've had a tendency to look at it that way. And yet I think there's another way you judge. Whoever listens, whatever watches, you judge. But I think there's another way that you can understand this. In, in light of what I'm talking about tonight, about personal soul winning and about getting folks saved, soul winning is the name of the title of the series, soul winning. He says, herein is God glorified that as you go forth, prompted by him and his spirit, and you speak his word to people, and people respond to it because God gives them that. They glorify God. They praise the Lord for their salvation, just like you and I did. Remember when you got saved? Praise God, I'm so happy. Okay, that brings a lot of glory to God. Now, look at verse 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and I have ordained you that you should go. Does that mean go? 
that you should, I have ordained you that you should go and bring forth what? Well, I don't need to go anywhere to bear fruits of the spirit. I can stay where I am. I don't need to go somewhere to get holy. I can get holy in my house or in my church. But he's talking about a mission here that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And then he said, whatever you shall ask your father in my name, as you're doing all of this, he'll give it to you. But you're doing something. You're being inspired, commissioned, prompted, anointed to go and bear fruit. Interesting study, but fruit bearing in the sense of winning people to Christ or proclaiming the gospel, which when planted will bear fruit, is a nice big subject. It's what God does. God uses his word to save people. In John 14 and verse 12, I guess this is still controversial in some circles. I don't know. But hear ye, hear ye. John 14, 12, a few years ago was a, a controversial verse of scripture. It says here, verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father. And there was a great question about what is meant by greater works. I think I lost all my following at this point. Ha, ha, and more ha's. But he said, let's take it down. Let's break it down. I'm going to bring it back to evangelism. He that believeth on me, Jesus said, the works that I do shall he do also. Well, what did he do? <laughs> well, everything from a headache to raising the dead. That's pretty broad spectrum. There was nothing that he could not do. Everything he did worked. He never failed. The people had been dead for three days. He raised them from the dead. I guess you could say, well, if they'd been dead five days, that would be greater than what Jesus did. Dead is dead, whether they're in a, whether they're in a bone yard or whether they're just still in flesh and laying in a box. Dead is dead. And he raised them from the dead. You can't do more than that. I mean, the great fear in life is a disease that takes your life. And, because, and when your life is gone, it's over. And for somebody to raise you back to life, obviously healed. I don't know what can exceed that. But there was a lot of discussion a few years ago about something that was greater than that. And then there was a mixture of not only quantity, that is numbers of miracles, or quality of raising the dead after so many years, or something like that. And you know, the second word is greater works, meaning greater miracles and greater signs and wonders than these shall you do. Well, in the context of this verse, in this chapter, Jesus said, I'm going to the Father. In John chapter 14, he said, I am going to go to the Father, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. You remember that? Verse 16, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may be with you forever. Who, the spirit of truth, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Well, 
perhaps when he said, and greater than these miracles that Jesus did shall you do also, means that something happens when Jesus goes to the Father. And the promise that he sent was the Holy Spirit who was not yet given because he, Jesus, was not yet glorified. He was active on the earth, but he wasn't dwelling in people like that then. He anointed people. That's what filled with the Spirit in the Old Testament is talking about. They were equipped or anointed to do certain things. Samson, Gideon, the guy that built the Bezalel, whatever his name was, that built all the articles of the temple, he was anointed. But Jesus plainly said in John 7, he said the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But when he was glorified, he came back from the Father and he said, you tarry ye here in the city of Jerusalem until I send the promise of my Father upon you, which saith he, you heard from me in the beginning. In Acts 1.8, he said, now when the Holy Spirit, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you shall receive what? Power. Is that all he said? All right, is everybody in Acts 1.8? Don't take my word for this. And you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be what? Witnesses. To what? What do you witness to? Something that just happened. It was the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the basis for our salvation. And he said, you receive power, uh, the authority, the anointing, whatever, to witness to that. No man will ever stop you, that nothing in this world will ever stop this. Nobody can keep this message from going forth because God has people who are not afraid to do it. And they go into all the world and preach the gospel. They go into all the world to make disciples. There are martyrs everywhere. In fact, the word witness in Acts 1.8, the word witness means martyr. It's the word martyr, martyrio. They give their life for this message. They'll lay down their life, whatever it is, to do this, as well as witness meeting to proclaim. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded. There is something very compelling in those that know it and have it, something very compelling about how you feel about lost people, that they are without hope, and without God, there is a way they can be saved. You don't know if they want to be saved or not. None of us do. That doesn't keep us from pronouncing or announcing the way of salvation to the lost. Again, we're just afraid that somebody will point their finger at us, make fun of us. And so we spare them the message of truth so that we won't be embarrassed. But there are people who won't do that. They know that I'm on this earth for a reason. One of my missions on this earth is what I'm doing right now in a local church, but I have the same responsibility outside of these walls as you do. Ground's level out there. We're all witnesses to Christ, every one of us. I'm not better than you. You don't call them and send them to my house. You do it yourself. You don't call me and say, I got somebody here who needs to be saved. You lead them to the Lord. You got the same responsibility out there as I do. My responsibility is teaching, preparation, laboring, studying in the Word, 
making sure you understand as much as I know how to teach it, what, what the Lord says. But he said, he said, I'm going to, because I go to my father in verse 12, again, in Luke 14, verse 12, he said, and greater works than these shall you do because what? Did he say that? Did Jesus say, because I go to my father, you're going to do something that is greater than miracles? What could be greater than a miracle? The salvation of your soul. There is nothing greater or more important than that. You can live healed and full of all kinds of gifts and power the rest of your life, but if you die without Christ, you're lost. I mean, I don't know how you would do all that without Christ, but I'm just saying you can have a lot of things and not have Jesus. That Matthew 7 is a classic example. But Lord, we, have, we did miracles in your name. Remember that? Lord, we, we preached, we, 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 we told people. I went around the world. I went in five or six nations. Lord, look what I did. And he says, I never knew you. You did it for pay, maybe. You did it for fame, maybe. You didn't do it because you cared about the condition of lost people. There was no passion in, in, in what you said. There was no pop in it. People could detect that this was more rote and memorization than it was reality. I mean, Christ was not the compelling reason that you're doing this. I mean, he knows our hearts, every one of us. I'm sure there are those who feel compelled to witness to somebody every day, and if they don't, man, I messed up. That's good, I suppose. But you don't witness so you can keep adding up numbers of how many you witness to. You witness because it's the work of God in you to lost men. And if you don't tell them, how will they hear? How can they hear? Well, they don't, they're pretty mean. I don't think they would listen. How do you know they won't? How do you know they won't? Well, I'm afraid they'll say something bad to them. They probably will. I've given people tracks and look at that thing and threw it down. I don't want that trash or use another word. You just go on. You can't let that stop you. Look at the martyrs in the church. They died. Read Hebrews 11 if you want to see what happened to witnesses. They died. They were persecuted. They went without food. They were hungered, beat down, oppressed, and they couldn't wipe the smile off of their face. Some of them went to the cross and the burning stakes in Nero's garden in the sense that their life is what made them mad. It's what made Nero mad. It's that living witness, that willingness to talk about it, that willingness to live the life in front of whoever, to make decisions that may be uncomfortable to make, but you got to make them. You know you're going to be persecuted if you say that. You know you are. But you know that you got a choice to make either pleasing man or pleasing God, and I would much rather please God than please man. There's just something about the willingness to do this that I believe changes our whole outlook on why we're on this earth. If we're just here to keep gathering in that deeper word, well, we're going to get that. But we might find ourselves getting stale and stagnant and a little bit dead because a whole lot's going in, not much is going out. 
I've had some of you in days past share with me about going on mission trips down into some of the Hispanic countries. You've never done that before. Never, never were asked to do that. And so, with the brother Ashby took a whole load of us down there, us, you all, and said, here's what I want you to do. I think one night, maybe it was Paul, I don't know, but Brother Ashby said, okay, you're going here now. I want you to go over this church tonight. And I said, Paul, I want you to preach down here at this church. And I think he told me, he said, preach. How you do that? I didn't come over here for that. But, you know, when you push in the back, you go, you go down the road, you got in there, and you walk into church, they're all going, hey, you know, what do they say in Spanish? And there you are, and all of a sudden, you just do what, you just say what you know. Whatever, whatever was there, you said it, you begin to share about it, and God starts saving people through you or him or anybody else that wants to go. It's just those lay witness missions, it was amazing. We give our testimony to normal people, ordinary people, and they come forward and ask God to save them. I'm still here because of that. I never got over that, that this really is real. I see it in somebody besides a paid preacher. We expect him to talk this way. But a high school principal, I never got along with any of them, ever. And here's one up there talking. I was hard-headed, but I know that surprised you, but <laughs> his guys walked up front in the Christian church that, that night, said, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't God good? And I'm thinking, that was the night that fellow sat down behind me back there, asked me if I would pray for him. He was going to witness next. Well, I thought praying me, you know, Okay. And he gets up in front of the, our little church about this size. Because before I share my testimony tonight, Brother Hamilton, will you pray for me? You know, I'll, I'll never forget that either. What am I going to say? What would I say? But God used that. I look back at it now. It was God's way of showing me graphically and clearly how big a hypocrite I was. I just belong to church. I'm just, hey, time out. I'm just a member. I just attend here. I don't, I don't do that. You know, my Sunday school, would you pray in Sunday school class? Of course I did. All right, children, let's all stand up. Sixth grade. All right, let's all repeat the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, was, I, I knew that much. Our Father, which art, and they, they would finish. But as far as rolling my own, making up a prayer, I remember, I think the preachers always say, most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, which is good, but I knew if I said that, it sounded like I'm imitating him. And I remember thinking at, at that time, I, re, I remember, still do, of just how dreadfully lost I was. It was made clear to me. And I tried my best the next Sunday morning. What was that, June uh, 30th? I said, I tried my best to not see myself like God was showing me because in everybody else's eyes, I was a good boy. You know, the coach goes to church, not real spiritual, but he's not real ugly. I mean, he's, you know, he's in there in the middle having fun. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one stinking dark blot. 
And it was just a matter of moments time. I wanted up there and ask God to forgive me and save me. Because somebody like me, not a preacher, but like you, somebody like you all told me about Jesus and what he did in their life. And I, had, I just couldn't get over it. I asked God to save me. You know what? He did. And he still is. The saving process is continuing. We haven't gone to the finish line yet, but we will believe until the very end. But let me remind, let me remind you again. Jesus said, the Father's glorified, you bear much fruit. Jesus said, I'm going to the Father. And when I go to the Father, I'm going to send to you something that has never been sent before or done before. The Holy Spirit is going to come. Now, when he comes, you're going to receive the power to witness unto me, whether by miracles and signs, as Jesus often did, or with word, as Jesus did mostly of teaching. But you're going to witness to me. Your whole life is going to be spent facing lost people, or if you're a minister, some say, you know, save people too, but you're going to be in front of lost people a lot, and you're going to be compelled to share the old-time truth because, you see, God saves men, and uses men to save them. The lost people out there, they don't come in here. This is not for lost people. What we do in here, a natural mind would never understand this. People say, well, why don't you give altar calls? Well, this is a place where the Christians come to teach. If they're not saved, why don't you talk to them after church? Somebody say amen. amen. My ministry is to teach or to exhort to share with you what the Lord has given to me, to encourage you to do what the Lord is saying. A lost man, you can't tell him that. He has no right to God. He has no right to the name Jesus. It's a foreign name to him. He can't even talk about it. If there's a discussion, he has to get out of it. If it's on a radio talk show, they change the subject. They can't stand the name. And he wouldn't be able to stand it either. That's why he's not here. But you can because it's for you, the church meeting. But when you get the lost, you go out and, as Jesus said, you compel them to come in. You pray with them. You lead them in there and you say, you need to hear the word. It's essential. It is vital. It is necessary for you to hear the word because it's the only thing that edifies and builds you up. And you got to hear that. So you bring them. They don't have a way to get here. You, you go get them. You call them before you leave. Make sure they're coming. If they're having a bad day, you say, I'll come and get you. You don't give them, you don't let them have time off because we are Christians making disciples, going into the harvest, bringing them in so they can be saved. That's what we do. And closing, I'm not going to, I told you this is going to last a while, but turn to James chapter five and verse 10. All you evangelists, all you powerful speakers in this room, Who's the most powerful speaker in here? I didn't see that hand. How many of you have a message of how God saved you? Every one of you has a message for somebody somewhere at a particular time, all of you do. We've sold ourselves short and said, well, I'm not good at that or I can't. I am not good at it either. You may think so, but I'm really not. I don't think we, we're supposed to be good at it. If we were good at it, then we'd be polished. 
and it would come out a little bit. But when you're struggling with it, and we often do, I do, uh, it's something honest about it. It's an honest struggle. And the person you're talking to, if they know your heart, they know you're not some kind of a polished Bible quoter, but you're just like them. You were once just as lost as they were, but God did something in your life, turned your life around, gave you, gave you hope and peace. Still love your wife, 50 years. Wow, what, what about that today? I said, what do you attribute that to? To the Lord. To God's work. That's what I attribute that to. Everything is about God. I want to glorify God. But here's what happens. When you witness and you begin to share with him about Christ, James chapter 5 and verse 19. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, that would be like somebody who's backslid. If one of you err and someone converts him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. This is what we do. This is what we do. He didn't say here ministers, preachers, seminary graduates do that. We do that. And every one of us, the Bible says, who by passion and concern and careful effort convert a sinner from his way, turn him around from the way he's going, you not only have covered a multitude of sins that God now knows and doesn't have to judge, but you saved that soul from death. God used you to do it. Amen. So welcome to the ministry. All of you. Amen. Stand to your feet. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, tonight, I ask that you would move through each of our aisles and touch hearts. That you would enlighten us, inform us, make us to know personally what you've said tonight about our responsibility as gospel carriers to share that light with other people and that you will save them. Let that be so with us, Lord. Put that in our hearts. Put that in our hearts. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he?